is I thought it might be good for us to really root ourselves in a day that was pretty different from today, wasn't it? In a whole lot of ways. We've come a long way from the day when the conscience was, you know, an integral part of the American culture. I've got that picture up there of a book by John MacArthur because it's so very telling. It's called The Vanishing Conscience, Drawing the Line in a No-Fault, Guilt-Free World. And interestingly, that book has vanished. It's no longer in print, which says something. The Vanishing Conscience. And I think on this Memorial Day, there's no more important subject if we really care about our country that we could address than the subject of our conscience than looking back to another day. Chuck Colson said that he's been in politics for 40 years and he has never seen Washington as, you know, as ugly as it is today. People are angry with one another. There is a political polarization uh, of the worst kind that he's ever seen. There's absolute, you know, ideological uh, gridlock. People can't move. And here we've got this huge national crisis, $1.4 or so trillion dollars being added to the national debt every single year. And we know it's it's unsustainable, and we know it can't last, and we know something's got to change, and yet we can't do anything about it because one reason is the public say they want to cut the debt, but not my debt. You know, not my stuff. 79% of the people say the country's on the wrong track, and they're angry. And you can feel, feel this frustration, you know, spilling out all over the place, and they're demanding a political solution, and they're not going to get one because that's not the solution. We expect so much from our politicians, but they can only do so much because politics is ultimately the expression of culture. And in a free society, we live in this society, theoretically, by the consent of the governed. And if the people don't want to be governed, if the people are, you know, basically ungovernable, at least a whole lot are, uh, because they won't manage their own affairs and they demand Washington make them happy, it ain't going to happen. The culture spawns politics, and politics reflects the culture. And the culture of this country is sick. Now, why is that? What is that? What is culture? Where culture is nothing but a visible manifestation of what, um, of what Chuck Colson called the cult, that is, the belief system. Our culture is the product of about two millennia of Judeo-Christian influence, although that's being lost. And as that's being lost, as we all know, the culture is being lost. It's deteriorating. So if the culture is sick and politics can't answer the problem, where is the problem going to get answered? Well, it's going to get answered by reforming the cult. And who is this cult in America today? It's you and me our belief system. Don't get mad at Washington. Start figuring out how we as the church, how we as uh, the people of Jesus Christ can present a winsome way uh, about the truth that you can live by that opens people's eyes. How to live your life responsibly so they can see how important virtue really is to the American life. And that has to come from us. Nobody else can do that. Chuck Colson said, and I agree, and uh, I hope you do too on this Memorial Day, he said, I really believe we're ungovernable unless there's a resurgence of virtuous living. 
of an understanding that we have to live responsibly as citizens, sacrificially, like many of you have. If we want to keep, we have to live responsibly as citizens if we want to keep our freedom and a free society. It all comes down to virtue. And virtue is a matter of conscience. Give a little whistle. Our subject today is the conscience, and we're going to see just how valuable and how, um, how vulnerable it is. How vulnerable, especially in a country where there's so little left to prop up the conscience. How valuable when more and more it's all that stands between civilization and chaos. In fact, you could title this message, Civilization, Conscience, Chaos. In fact, you might... Well, I've seen that the main idea, we've seen a number of months ago, that the main idea in chapter 14 of Romans has to do with the main obstacles to really loving one another. That is, judging our brothers and sisters and demanding our rights. We saw that rights are wrong when brothers are hurt. Back then, the issue was the right to eat meat sacrificed to idols. It wasn't wrong in and of itself, but it went against the conscience of some who were born uh, born again out of a context of idolatry, of meat sacrificed to idols being how you placate the gods. So Paul said that you need to lay down that right lest you cause them to go against their conscience, to do what for them would be wrong. For if because of food, Romans 14, 15, your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. We saw that this applies to everything from how you dress as a woman to what you drink, right? That was Paul's rebuke. Rights are wrong when brothers are hurt. This time we're going to look at the reason that, and that is this, good is bad when conscience is hurt. Good is bad when conscience is hurt. In Romans 14, starting in verse 20, do not tear down the work of God, Paul says, for the sake of food. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. Back in verse 15, Paul said that if your brother is hurt because of food, you are no longer walking according to love. That is, if by your doing it, they go against their conscience and do it themselves, you're not loving them. But now he kind of ups the ante by saying that you're tearing down the work of God because it can go easily from being hurt to being ruined. He's talking here not just about hurting your brother by wearing down his conscience or about hurting yourself by wearing down your own conscience. He's talking about both together. And apparently there's a very real danger of tearing down a life, he's saying whether their life or your own, when you don't follow conscience. Ruining a life, for a, uh, for a while anyway, by going against your own conscience or by ruining theirs by causing them to do the same. That's what's at stake in two very powerful verses, as we'll see today, when it comes to all the gray areas that we talked about uh, a while back. What gray areas? Well, what I watch on TV. Uh, what movies I go to. Uh, what food I eat. Alcohol. Or the clothes I wear that might, or a woman wears that might cause her brother to stumble. Or the company I keep. Or the money I gamble. As I say these things, 
What is Jiminy Cricket saying? Or the hobbies you enjoy that may take too much time from your family. Or uh, something as simple as a kiss if you're a guy that means a whole lot more to the girl. Obviously, we can't list them all. And so, as we move on, you're going to need to ask the Spirit of God to let you know what this means for you as we deal with conscience. I wouldn't be surprised if He weren't already convicting you in some areas of conscience. He has been with me for the last two weeks, and now I see why. Because this will help me draw the line in the sand. If you didn't come in here that way, being convicted by something, today He's uh, then maybe He'll speak to you right now. If you have been convicted, maybe He's saying... This is my word. That's where you need to draw the line in the sand. That's me speaking. Again, verse 20. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food, for the sake of indulging in something that the Scripture may not prohibit, but your conscience does. The verb that's translated tearing down here is luso in the Greek, which literally means to destroy. In fact, the NIV translates it, destroy. Do not destroy the work of God for a conscience issue. Who would ever have guessed that such this, this cataclysmic end of destruction could come from such a small beginning? Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. The work of God here is a person. His work in creating you or your brother. His work of redeeming you. And he's saying that all that work can be seriously and sometimes almost irreparably damaged by doing something that goes against your conscience or that causes someone else to go against theirs. And a society, too, can end up that way. It's almost like the tongue in James 3. It says, it's, it's such a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. Behold, how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. That's what happens when we go against conscience. It's kind of like, have you ever heard of chaos theory? Where, you know, a butterfly flips its wings in Japan and all sorts of cause and effect things, and there's a, you know, there's a tornado or a hurricane in some other part of the world. That's kind of what he's saying. The same is true of conscience. A little fluttering, a little wavering, uh, a little giving in, and the next time it's a little easier. And before you know it, the ripple becomes a hurricane that can wipe out your whole life or a whole country. And you end up like a man in Proverbs 25, like a trampled spring and a polluted well is a righteous man or society who gives way before the wicked. That kind of defeat begins long before in the place that no one else knows about except for you and God. That's why Paul told Timothy that one secret of the victorious Christian life, of fighting the good fight, is keeping a good conscience. 1 Timothy 1.19 Fight the good fight. And how do you do it? Next word. Keeping faith and a good conscience which some have rejected, and what happened as a result of rejecting conscience and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Neglecting the conscience is the first step in neglecting or rejecting the faith. C.S. Lewis put it this way, the small nuances of our day-to-day -day attitudes, acts, and words brought to their final fruition turn out to be the stuff that heaven and hell are made of. Nothing is quite neutral. Everything is always thickening and hardening and coming to a point. Murder is no better than cards if cards can do the trick to take you from God. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope 
soft underfoot, without sudden turning, without mileposts, without signposts. That's what he's talking about. Are you maybe on a slope like that right now? So often when it comes to conscience issues, you don't really realize what's going on until you've taken a few steps and you start to say, this might not be good. Are you there right now? Where the Scripture doesn't exactly say, no trespassing, but maybe your conscience is. There are many examples of this. How, how such little things, sins of the conscience, end up, like Paul says, just like Paul says, destroying, ruining the work of God. Here's how James Dobson describes it. It's a typical affair. And it applies to many other areas of playing with what we shouldn't be playing with. Ask God to show you what it might mean for you. He says this, I found it interesting to observe men and women who decide to leave the straight life in pursuit of alien voices. Rarely do they make a sudden left or right turn and plunge into an affair or a differing lifestyle. Instead, they make very small, safe departures from that line. Are you doing that right now? And then return for a time of evaluation. In the early stages, if you were observing, you might not even recognize the behavior as being bad. It may be a luncheon with a secretary that lasts only 30 minutes longer than usual. Both the man and the woman could justify their actions if pressed. They were talking about business most of the time. But both of them know that their business conversation is not responsible for the excitement they feel on the inside. They are flirting with a departure from the straight life. Later in the day, she hands him a sheet of paper, and as he accepts it, he allows his hand to pass gently over hers. It's no big deal. They've done nothing wrong. But both of them are making tiny blips off the path of responsibility. If their conscience doesn't check their inclinations, at that point, the blip will become a bulge and the illicit relationship will grow to ruin two marriages. The Bible says, thou shalt not commit adultery. The Bible warns us, you know, about that precipice uh, and about some of the steps immediately preceding it, maybe. But the conscience helps us keep the fences pulled way back from the precipice. And these days we desperately need it because there's a slippery slope down to almost every precipice, right? Does your conscience, a firm conscience, keeps a fickle heart at a safe distance? Does your conscience do that? And so Paul was not exaggerating when he said, do not destroy the work of God, whatever, whether that be your brother by causing him to stumble or yourself. Do not destroy the work of God for something as trivial and as easily avoidable, in that case, as food or as the brush of a hand when you're passing a paper. Or maybe it's just those half-truths that, that you keep telling that lead to a whole lie or whatever the Spirit may be saying to you and me right now. Do not destroy the work of God for indulging in something that the Scripture may not explicitly prohibit, but your conscience does. And then moving on, verse 20, the last, last part of verse 20, all things are indeed clean, but they are evil 
for the man who eats and it gives offense. This is really, really strong language. The road to destruction is, um, is paved with little white sins that the Scripture may not even talk about that may be fine for others, but that may be positively, uh, destructively evil for you. That's what he's saying. It is good, therefore, verse 21, in light um, of the wickedness that happens that brings on such evil consequences, it is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles or by which you yourself go against your conscience. There's a whole lot more at stake than we know. That's why Paul couches it in the strongest of terms. And I don't know about you, but I think that's what I'm, this isn't legalism. This is what our country needs. America, America, thy God, uh, heal thy every flaw, confirm thy cell and thy soul in self-control, thy liberty in law. And the conscience is the heart of that. There's a fire in our culture, and I'm afraid a lot of Christians have become like frogs in a kettle. Maybe some of you have. Just look at the statistics of everything from abortion, you know, to tax evasion. They're about the same for us as for them, the ones we point the finger at. The Bible predicts that in the last days, many will fall away from the faith. And you can't but, but help but wonder if America is being set up for something like that. Many will fall away because it says that lawlessness will increase as never before. And why will lawlessness increase? Well, I don't think it's a coincidence that the Scripture also predicts that in the last day, men and women will be sheared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. In more ways than we know. The searing of the American landscape is due to the searing of the American conscience. And we are the answer, not them. What is a conscience? Well, as I close, let me tell you what others have said and think about the area where you may be struggling right now and ask the Holy Spirit to show you where you may need to draw the line in the sand, maybe starting today. Just listen. The conscience is a three-cornered thing in your heart that stands still when you're good. But when you're bad, it turns around and around, and the corners hurt a lot. But if you keep on doing wrong, the corners wear off and it stops hurting. Is that where you are? I love this one. All this is so biblical. The conscience is the sentinel which guards the soul. The granite column on which the self and the society stands. The chamber of justice. God's voice in the soul. God's monitor which approves right and condemns wrong. Speaking of America, George Washington put it this way. He said, labor to keep alive in your breast that little spark of celestial fire called the conscience. It's a precious thing. Why? Someone said, there is no pillow as soft as a clear conscience. And a whole lot of other things happened as a result, all the way up to a healthy society. 
Someone said, conscience is the one thing that hurts when everything else feels great. Bottom line, well, back to where we began. The answer to the financial crisis and the answer to a whole lot else is with you and me. And that is this. There must be a resurgence of virtuous living, of character. That's why the financial crisis happened, because that ain't here. Starting with you and me. We must be the change. We must stop pointing the finger, and we must be the change we wish to see in the world. Be the change we wish to see. I don't know about you, but sometimes I yearn for a more innocent day. A day when we can experience here, a day that I think we can experience here in the church, in this bubble of light, in a world that's become a stormy sea and blackness on the outside. We can experience that countercultural community in the church, and we do to a good degree, and it's a wonderful thing. That's one of the things that keeps pulling me back. And many of you have that to a good degree in your homes. And as long as that is the case, and as long as we're not slip-sliding away, but moving forward as a faithful remnant, there's hope for this country where there are old-fashioned churches and homes. Just like the day that when instead of watching MTV, children were, you know, singing along with Jiminy Cricket. So keep it up. When you get in trouble and you don't know right from wrong, give a little whistle. Give a little whistle. When you meet temptation and the urge is very strong, give a little whistle. Give a little whistle. Not just a little squeak. Pucker up and blow. And if your whistle's weak, yell, Jiminy Cricket, right. Take the straight and narrow path. And if you start to slide, give a little whistle. Give a little whistle. And always let your conscience be your guide. And always let your conscience be your guide. Father, we do want to thank you for how practical your word is. And how this isn't legalism. This is how we survive. I thank you that you never tell us to do anything that you don't also enable us to do from the inside out. And so, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will have been moving and would have been moving through this last half hour or so to do what he came to do, to come along the side of the conscience and to convict us of sin and righteousness and judgment. And then to empower us as we confess our sins and turn to live the kind of life that can make this a truly beautiful country once again. We commit ourselves to you now to that end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.